Welcome back to the IIF Future Leaders Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Dylan Riddle, and I'm joined now by one of my colleagues from the Future Leaders Group Class of 2020, Jeff Snowden. He's a Vice President of Business Transformation and Canadian Business Banking at Scotiabank. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me, Dylan. Yeah, of course. So I want to kind of start, like we do in all these episodes, kind of where you are. So working in business transformation and based out of Toronto, can you kind of walk us through what your role is like currently, what you're kind of focusing on, and um, then we can kind of get into how this crazy last year and COVID and everything else has probably uh, changed that up. Uh, yeah, sure. Ha- happy to, Dylan. So my, my current role is, as you described, Vice President of Business Transformation. And really what that means or, or what I'm focused on is what should we look like as a business bank in Canada? The, the focus areas here are really on kind of three buckets. One is people. So what is our appropriate target operating model for our individuals that are serving clients? How do we do that in a more efficient and more effective manner? Uh, the second area of focus is, is process. So how do we make processes simpler, easier, faster, quicker, both for our bankers as well as for our clients? And then the, the third big bucket, and, and really it's been a focus area of my, myself and my team over the last two and a half years is really on the technology front. And so the focus there is how do we deliver new technology solutions to our bankers so that we can better serve our clients? That's great. I want to start with actually not the technology side, but kind of like I mentioned earlier, COVID. How has that transformed how you look at the bank going forward? How, I mean, has it? Are you guys more long term than that, where you think that this is something that, you know, once we get into 2021, vaccines are rolled out, it no longer has as much of an impact on the business model? Um, or, you know, I'm sure as in Canada is in the U.S. that um, we're seeing this K-shaped recovery and businesses and the services side are um, completely decimated and have been, you know, essentially unable to operate for the last year. Um, and that must also be a large part of your guys' business as well. So how, do, how does that change how you're looking in kind of the medium to longer term? Yeah, you know what? I, I think COVID has had a drastic short-term impact on how we operate. Uh, and quite frankly, I think it's had... Um, and I don't want to say it in the, in a negative light, but it, it's it's almost had a positive impact on the bank in terms of how quickly we're moving towards the future, how quickly we're focusing on rolling out new technologies that enable mobile enablement of our bankers and enable us to better serve our clients um, digitally. And so there's been a huge impact on our front line because our front line is used to going out and visiting prospects, going out and visiting clients, spending time in uh, manufacturing plants, spending time at businesses that are our clients. And and really, it's been a challenging year because now that's shifted to these types of interactions where we're using teams or we're using zoom and it's different right like that's a different conversation to have it's nice to see people over video but quite frankly um you lose something when you're not actually standing on the on the floor with the owner of that business or with the operator of that business walking through um, and getting an understanding of of how they operate on a day-to-day basis and so i think one of the things that it's done is it's really accelerated um, the bank's investment in technology that will better enable our bankers. Um, and quite frankly, it's tied in um, really nicely to the plan that we had in place already 
pre-COVID. Um, we've had to change the way in which we operate. We were running um, labs, and so putting a bunch of individuals inside a room, using whiteboards, using sticky notes on the on on the wall to be able to kind of map out the day-to-day -day of our bankers and then map that out in the technology solutions. All of that's moved to kind of a digital white whiteboard or a digital uh, scrum board. Um, initially, that was hard and it was difficult on our teams to kind of adjust to that and to be able to figure out a way to interact together um, and to collaborate in terms of having conversations about what should we look like, what shouldn't we do, how do we amend that? How do we make that easier or how do we not? It's much easier in person to do that because you're literally moving sticky notes on the wall and you're looking face to face um, at your colleague. But you know what? We've adapted well uh, and it's changed the way in which we're rolling these, these projects out. But at the same time, we've been quite effective at um, evolving and, and being able to continue to deliver on time and on budget uh, the projects that we had planned. Yeah. Uh... I, I would say that we're, uh, I guess, nine months or so into this, 10 months into this, and I still have yet to find a digital way to replace my whiteboards, though. Anyone, any of my colleagues will tell you I have a giant whiteboard that is covered in illegible handwriting in my office and two more outside of my office that I can see from where I sit, and they all have my like notes, everything that our team needs to do, everything else. Uh, scribbled across it, which makes me look like I like, kind of live in an insane asylum. But uh, I haven't quite figured out how to replicate that vibe for the digital world yet. Um, but it's interesting too. You know, I think your sentiments are ones that we've heard from, from other people on this podcast as well. That the the shift has it's not necessarily uh, oh we need to throw away our entire strategy for the business and and figure out how we're going to compete in this new world it's almost like it's just accelerating what we've been trying to do and maybe in a way uh, you know my words not yours give a give a kick to people who might have been a little bit slower to adapt to some of the things um, and, and try to move forward but it's, is that kind of a, a fair characterization yeah I, I would say it is you know I, I think one of the things that I would be remiss at not discussing is obviously, and, and you mentioned this, there's been a huge impact to a broad section of the economy. Uh, there's been a huge impact to a, a large proportion of small businesses and medium-sized businesses, both within Canada and around the world. Um, and the bank's been there to support those businesses. And the government of Canada has quite frankly stepped up um, as well to support those businesses is with various government relief programs. And I think what it's showcased is that um, the bank is supportive of businesses despite challenging times, will step up, will um, put in deferments on, on loan payments, will change uh, covenants to be able to allow our businesses to Kind of evolve and and adapt to the change, but also to get through tough times. Um, you know, you, you spoke about a K-shaped recovery, and I think that's a, a really fair way of looking at it. There are a lot of businesses. There there are some businesses that have done quite well within the pandemic, but there are a ton of businesses that have not. And so, if you think about the services industry, if you think about the restaurant industry, those are going to be fundamentally changed. Um, probably not just in the short term, but also in the long term. And and so how we as a bank support them is extremely important. 
how we um, spend time continuing to, to kind of have conversations with those clients to help them get through this. That's what we've done um, both in the short term and the long term, that the bank has been known as a very supportive uh, partner to to businesses and and how we support them in tough times is remembered. Um, and I think the bank has done a, an exceptional job over the past nine months supporting those businesses, not just the businesses that are doing well, because that's e- that's easier to do. Um, but the businesses that are struggling, you know, that the bank has stepped up to support them um, and to ensure that they survive. It's amazing, I think, when people start, you know, obviously we have vaccines rolling out now and, and things are starting to hopefully get a little bit back to normal again you know, throughout this year. But I think when uh, people start to look back, it's the industry, you know, obviously individual banks, but the industry as a whole has done such tremendous work to help keep supporting the economy, both, you know, in partnership with governments in the U.S. We have this PPP programs for small businesses. There's lots of other similar schemes, but also, you know, one-off the client relationships and those things that you kind of, um, you know, you can talk to a small business owner and they're worried about their relationships because they don't have that in-person relationship anymore and they know they're on tough times. And um, you've seen the industry time and time again step up to, to work with clients in a responsible and, you know, way to keep things going while it's obviously been incredibly tough. Um, but I want to pivot, you know, slightly away from kind of COVID and we can get back to more of the, the long-term look. But, um, you know, what... What does a bank, and this is getting more back to the technology side, um, but like what what does banking look like in five to 10 years? Um, You know, what kinds of things are you guys thinking about that are priorities? Um, I assume it's obviously a lot more investment on the technology side, but we've seen lots of investment on the technology side for for years now. Um, So kind of how does that look like playing out? Yeah, so I I think there's two kind of buckets here that I'd speak to. Um, the, the first bucket and one of the areas that we've been focusing on over the last kind of two years is really on uh, tools that will enable bankers. So giving bankers access to uh, a CRM platform. For us, it's Salesforce Lightning, uh, but a, a CRM platform on a mobile phone. Uh, providing kind of an updated view on a price, a relationship pricing and profitability tool that we've just rolled out to our bankers to better enable them to um, have the right conversations with clients and really put the client first in terms of how we're pricing deals, how we're looking at the entire relationship as we um, present uh, solutions to clients. Um, and then how do we enable kind of a, a an end-to-end digitized platform for credit. So the Scotia has maybe lagged a little bit behind peers in terms of rolling out um, kind of a digitized version of a credit application. And this is more at the larger scale at the kind of the commercial end of, of the business. And so it's really, how do we enable digitization and creating a kind of an end-to-end digital platform that allows them to better serve clients? The second big bucket, though, is really how do we enable self-service for our clients? And so from an online perspective, how do we enable our clients and our prospects, quite frankly, to add a product, to make changes to products, um, to apply for additional financing online, to be able to submit um, financial statements digitally to be able to um, simplify the process for 
clients. I think in, in five years, m- most of the process flow should be online and should be digitized. Now, having said that, it, it doesn't take away from what our bankers need to be doing. Um, our focus is really on how do we eliminate uh, administrative tasks for our bankers so that they can actually do what they need to be doing and what they should be spending the bulk of their time on, which is A, meeting with prospects and B, spending more time with clients. Having um, having more time to spend with clients and prospects enables our bankers to better understand those businesses and then to be able to better recommend the appropriate solution for those businesses to meet the client's needs. Um, I think when if we can reduce the amount of administrative work on our bankers, all that does is frees up time to do what they're really good at, which is having conversations with clients. So all, all of that makes tons of sense. The thing I think that is also really interesting though is like, what are the obstacles? I don't, when you describe all of that, it doesn't sound like necessarily the technology side in five to 10 years is going to be a huge obstacle to that. It's a matter of being able to build it and implement it, right? Or is that, or is that off base? No, no, no. It, that, that's totally fair. Like it, it sounds simple to say, let's just roll out a brand new technology. Let's take a cloud-based software and we'll just turn it on. Um, in reality, these projects are uh, m- multiple year rollouts that are reliant on integrations into core banking systems. And, and in some cases, those core banking systems are decades old. And so the, the challenge is really, we have um, a new wave of infrastructure that's all cloud-based trying to link into older infrastructure at a lot of banks um, that is not cloud-based. And, and so really it's kind of, how, how do you enable how do you enable the bank to be able to roll out these new cloud-based solutions while also thinking about the risks of opening up uh, older platforms that you know it is it's riskier to make changes to? And so, how do you kind of create a layer in between the cloud-based systems and the the core systems of banks so that you're not actually touching or opening up that core system and, and making changes to the coding of the core system? So it's it's not simple. I, I'd say that the second big challenge is both from a client perspective as well as a banker perspective is really change. I'm used to doing it in a certain way a banker might say or a client might say. I'm used to meeting with my banker and the banker is going to come out in person and I'm going to provide the financial statements to that banker and I'm going to walk through them with them or I'm I'm used to sending it by email. And so how do we educate how do we train? How do we teach both our clients as well as our bankers? The, what a what are the benefits of of moving to a more digital world? Um, and and then two is really how do we teach them to do it? And how do we help them do it? And and how do we get them excited about doing it? I, I think that really is the key. Is if you can get if you can build excitement, you're going to build engagement. And by building that excitement layer, you're going to get people willing um, and able to kind of make that move with you. And, it, and I think with the, 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 as part of your question, you were talking kind of five 
plus years. The good thing is, is you have five plus years. You, you don't just flip a switch and say, okay, client and banker, you're doing it very differently today than you did yesterday. Um, it's really kind of that gradual shift so that you're not overwhelming uh, your clients and you're not overwhelming your bankers. That's a great point. I mean, I think just at the IF, we have, you know, 100 or so employees and obviously lots of members, but from our you know, institutional kind of technology, even switching to a new CRM a couple of years ago, you know, you focus tons on how do you roll this out and how do you get all the data so that it works and you can build all these pretty dashboards and all this stuff. And then you have to remember that, you know, when you launch it out, the adoption and uh, getting people excited about actually using it because you want them to be using it after you just invested all this time in it uh, is like, seemingly almost as hard or harder in a lot of cases than building the technology itself. And, you know, I can't, I can't even imagine the rolling it out on a, a scale as big as Scotiabank or any of these other um, banks that are going through similar uh, types of transformation right now. It's, it's, it's just a totally different ballgame. Yeah, it, it, Dylan, you're right. It's, it's communicate, communicate, communicate. And it's getting people excited. Not you, you don't flip the switch and then send out a note that says, please use this. Um, it's, it's how do you communicate the benefits up, up front so that they're excited about starting? How do you build out a network of, and, and what we're using is kind of the, uh, the nomenclature of, of either trailblazer or change champion. So building out kind of leaders within the business line who are actually frontline users of these platforms, getting them super excited about it so that they are teaching their peers. Um, so that's a really important part. And then three is really um, accepting the fact that people ch uh, deal with change in, in different manners. And so you're going to have quick adopters and people that are super excited about it. And then you're going to have people that are detractors that need a little bit more time, need a little bit more um, hand-holding as they're getting used to the new platforms and the new tools. And that's okay, because often those detractors, quite frankly, are giving you good feedback and constructive feedback about how to make things better. Um, I think one of the things that we've thought through as we're rolling out new, these new technologies is that this isn't a one-and-done rollout. These technologies are, um, are built so that you can roll out new features and functionalities often. Um, new releases, making changes uh, on a quarterly basis, making changes on a monthly basis even. And, and these software providers, what's, what's great about them and what's great about the cloud is that you're constantly getting updates. Um, and, and what you're getting updates from is really the learnings that these companies have um, based off of users globally. And, and that's the to me, that's the really exciting part of cloud-based solutions is that you're actually taking the learnings, not just from Scotiabank, but from all the banks and all the other users of these platforms globally, you're getting the best practices from others. And so really it's how do you get people excited at the beginning, but then how do you keep them excited and how do you ensure that they are motivated to actually use the tool? And that's really what we've been working on over the last year and a half is, is getting people within the organization excited about the changes that we're making and why we're making those changes. That's a great point. You know, how important it is for the long term, obviously, to be making these changes now. And 
then when you can get to that stage where you're rolling out things on a weekly or monthly basis that are those like continual optimization uh, changes that might, they're not as big, but they, you know, help with one detractors, you know, nits that he has about whatever it is. But I do want to kind of pivot at this point too, and talk about not just your current role, but kind of your career trajectory at, at Scotiabank. I know you've been there for, um, it looks like about 15 years or a little bit more than a decade. Um, but if you can kind of walk me through, you know, how did you end up there originally? And then um, some of your other roles as well. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So I out of school, I, I went to Queens University um, just outside of Toronto. So it's in Kingston, Ontario, uh, and did a Bachelor of Commerce focused on accounting, actually. And so out of out of school, I worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers. Spent three years at PricewaterhouseCoopers as a as an accountant, as a auditor. Got my in Canada, it used to be called a, a, a chartered accountancy degree or a CA. Uh, that's now switched to a CPA. So I'm a CA and CPA. And as soon as I got my hours, I had actually already had a job lined up at the bank. Uh, it was actually a neighbor of mine who brought me into the bank. And and luckily, I, I had a neighbor that was at a, a fairly senior level um, within the organization. And, and he was running the commercial bank at the time. Um, and he brought me in. I interviewed for a role as an associate within a small group within the commercial bank called the Private Equity Sponsor Coverage Group. This is a small group that still exists. Uh, it's still fairly small. And really what they do is support private equity funds as they're buying businesses. So it was a, a fantastic area to learn about lending. It was a fantastic area to learn about deals uh, and how deals get done. Bigger, larger, uh, complex deals that were often syndicated with other banks. And so uh, it was a really great learning experience of lending uh, and of commercial lending. I then moved from that associate role into um, a director role on, on, focused on the execution side, which is really writing up deals. This was outside of the private equity world. So this was really uh, kind of generalist uh, as a generalist. So focusing on all sorts of different businesses. Uh, did that role for about a year and then moved over into a relationship management role for about three years. So um, acting as kind of that that go-to for for our largest commercial clients in Canada, Um, still in Toronto. uh, And and really that was fantastic because you were learning about lots of different industries. Uh, I had clients in, um, I I had the largest wax manufacturer in Canada. Um, the NHL actually was one of my was one of my accounts. The Ottawa Senators at, at one point was one of my accounts. I had not for large not for profits. Um, and so you, you really got experience looking at different types of businesses. Um, what made them successful? What needs did they have? How do you provide the right solutions to those businesses? So that it was it was a great uh, role actually one of my favorite roles with within the bank because you were that go-to for the business and so when the CFO or the CEO had had a need uh, they were picking up the phone and phoning you so did that role for about three years as part of that role or as part of my time in that role I, I got a chance to work on some strategic projects both within the commercial bank as well as a the a, the broader Canadian bank. Um, the Canadian Bank used to have something called the Canadian Bank Advisory Council, which was really taking eight people from various roles within 
Canada and putting them all together, so different business lines, uh, and and really um, trying to solve problems for senior management. So kind of the, the senior leadership team within the Canadian bank gave these eight, eight individuals, including myself, uh, a problem to solve and, and really spent kind of three or four months focused on how, how do you solve that problem. So that was a great uh, experience and great learning and, and good exposure to senior leaders, which always helps. Um, and, and my next role actually was, uh, really, I, I think part luck, part skill, but part luck, um, because of my relationship with the NHL, the bank had just signed a large marketing deal with the NHL. So Scotia is the bank of the NHL and we had just signed a, a big marketing deal. So I had, was consistently meeting with the head of marketing for Canada, John Doig. And John then went out and actually ran Toronto region on the retail and small business side. In my conversations, and we had a bunch of conversations talking about the NHL and the needs of the NHL, but then we also spent time on kind of career development. So it was really thanks to John who kind of made the suggestion that I step out of the commercial bank and actually move into uh, a retail small business role. Um, as a district VP. And really what that job is, is really responsible for a group of branches. And so really stepped outside of my comfort zone and said, okay, let me learn a, a new area of the bank. Um, let me gain an understanding of the, the PNC side of, of the business. And so jumped into a DVP role within Toronto, where I had, uh, I think I had 30 direct reports at that time. So we had 24 branch managers plus uh, a district team, so it was it was quite a change from having one or two direct reports to having thirty, uh, and a team of kind of three hundred and fifty to four hundred people within those twenty four branches. So, did that role for just over two years and absolutely loved that job. It was almost entrepreneurial in a sense because you're running your own district. You're kind of the the CEO, let's call it, of a district. Now, a lot of the uh, a lot of the 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 central strategy is set by the bank and which is which is totally fine but you really you had almost carte blanche in terms of hr and and where do you move people and what should the focus be of the district and and how do you ensure that you're best serving clients and and really how do you organize your time because you've got these very large branches and you also have some smaller branches within your district and so where do you spend your time how do you focus and how do you drive the right behaviors of 300 to 400 people? Um, so it was a great role. So on that role, how did, because that seems like it's a huge departure. I mean, you kind of said this, but it seems like it's a huge departure from your other roles where, you know, you're part of a team and, you know, you're responsible for an area in the commercial business. But if you essentially are managing your own district, that's a, that's a pretty big departure, not just responsibility wise, but from a like, um, how you operate on a day-to-day -day kind of way. So what kind of lessons had you taken from your previous roles that were applicable or did you kind of feel like you were sitting there and like, oh, I need to actually figure out how someone does this? You know, what what was the first day like on that job? Yeah, so I, 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 I think you bring up a very good point. I'd, I'd say the first months were overwhelming. And so there's there's components that you bring to the table, right? So... I had been a relationship manager. I understood kind of the role of the bank with a customer or the role of the bank with a prospect. How do you how do you understand the needs of that client? And then how do you provide solutions to that client? 
the, it's the exact same whether it's a fifty million dollar commercial deal or it's a, a small business owner that's walking in and needs fifty thousand, or it's a um, a a husband and wife that are walking in and want a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Understand the need of the client, and then how do we best fulfill that need? And so that component was the same. The dollar values are different. Fundamentally, it's the exact same thing. It's what solutions can the bank provide to make that customer's life better or easier, or how do we fulfill um, how do we fulfill the need of that client? So, you know, giving a mortgage is not giving a mortgage; it's helping the client buy a house. Same as okay, giving a big wax manufacturer a fifty million dollar deal so that they can build. Um, a new plant, kind of the same thing, right? They have a need and, and how do you help fulfill that need? The the management of people was really kind of the, the reason why I wanted that job was exactly that. It, it's how do you how do you manage um, different personalities? How do you motivate different individuals at different levels, right? From a um, from an individual that's working at the branch that is providing um, kind of like a customer service representative, um, all the way up to a very senior branch manager who, who has 35 plus years of experience. How do you mo- motivate those individuals? You have to motivate them a little bit differently. How do you have conversations with them? How do you understand what, what their motivations are and, and, and what excites them? Um, so that was a big learning. I think um, how to prioritize time was also a big learning because you have 24 branches. You cannot be in 24 different places. So how do you manage your time effectively so that you are um, you're, so that you're there for your team, um, but you're also cognizant of okay, well, where are the results coming from? Where are the bulk of our clients, and where should I spend the bulk of my time? Um, and so there were a lot of good learnings for, for myself there. Um, and, and quite frankly, I, I became a, a much better leader because of that experience. I think the other really great component of it was that it was totally outside my comfort zone. And I learned how PNC banking works for the bank. Right, so it, it is PNC banking is still a giant proportion, and 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 when I say PNC, I'm I'm really talking about retail and small business is a giant proportion of most banks' balance sheets, um, and so really getting an understanding and gaining an understanding of of how that side of the bank works um, was critical, quite frankly, in in my development and and critical. For any future role, because I, I think you want that breadth of experience and you want to really understand the needs of the client, but you also want to really understand how the bank actually fulfills those needs and, and what's important to clients really should help drive all decisions uh, in terms of kind of a, at, a, at a leadership level. It's, it's what's important. In a lot of the other conversations we've talked about, uh, I think it, it's a really interesting common reflection of a lot of people in our class that kind of those experiences that they get, they really feel like they're outside their comfort zone or 
they had a mentor who told them you should really try doing this those are the ones they look back on now and they're like well yeah that's kind of what made the difference for you know me in my current role or that added that like extra you know where you like the secret sauce on a big mac or something right like that's what made the difference for them and why they think they kind of have positioned themselves as a future leader now so um you know is that the same for you and and, and kind of how does that role now kind of fit into or what you learned doing that role uh how does that fit into your current role and in, in the business transformation side so i would agree with that fully right like a, a mentor of mine actually the same individual that brought me into the bank um one of the things that he had told me when i was early stages of my career is he, he gave me the advice of you don't take a job for that job you take a the job for where that job will lead you and it's either lead you to another job or it's also what skill sets are you going to gain um what learnings are going to happen because you've taken that job and and i've taken that to heart right so it's it's really about okay in a role what do i want to learn both personally as well as how do i better support the bank um and what do i want to take away from it and how will that make me a better leader how will that make me a better banker how will that make me a better person overall um and i think in that the the dvp role really was about how do you prioritize time because it was really hard um and then how do you delegate because you can't do everything um how do you uh, prioritize um focus for others or how do you prioritize the kind of the strategic approach because again you can't do everything and you can't be everything to everyone. And so I, I, I took that learning away um, fairly early. I think it was, <laughs> it, it took a few months to get there. Um, and that those first few months, I don't think went as well as, um, as they should have, but you know, that's what learning is all about is being put into a situation where maybe you're, you're not doing as well as you normally do, um, but you're learning because of it. Uh, and so that that role was fantastic. The, the next role I had, quite frankly, was managing a remote team across the country. So a team of sales individuals focused on insurance, on creditor insurance. And again, you you gain um, you gain certain things from every role. And so that role was okay. How do you how do you actually handle leading a team when they're not directly in front of you? where you can't go and meet them. And quite frankly, that's been very helpful during the pandemic uh, because I was kind of used to that, right? Like it's, I'm having conversations with one of my direct reports who works and lives in Vancouver or works and lives in Montreal um, or works and lives in Calgary where I, yes, I'm going out to see them, but I'm not going out to see them very often. And so you learn and you gain an understanding of, okay, how do you work remotely? How do you motivate people remotely? How do you stay in touch? And how do you ensure that you're not um, focusing too much on the individuals that are in front of you? Because it's so much easier. You can just walk down the hall and, and have a conversation. Um, but how do you ensure that you're also including the individuals that are outside of your kind of immediate area? So it took a lot of... Uh, and And that job was also about kind of strategic thinking, bigger picture... Where do we want to take the business? How do we want to change the business? How do we want to drive the right behaviors? 
those are all lessons that, quite frankly, for any job, for any leadership job are relevant. And so in this role, it's really, okay, again, how do you prioritize? We can't do everything. There's a lot of things that we want to fix, but guess what? We can't do it all because we, A, don't have all, we don't have the resources to do it. And B, we don't have the money to do everything right away. And so how do you prioritize kind of that strategic approach or that strategic thinking of where you want to go? Um, and then how do you motivate individuals remotely? Uh, and and it's it's challenging. It's it's much harder. Um, you know, it's it, the the social aspect of it is a lot more difficult and a lot more challenging. How do you keep people engaged and excited? And and quite frankly, I think uh, uh, how do you not um, overwhelm individuals? Because I think that's one of the lessons that I've taken from the last nine months. Is it's very easy to get caught up in okay, well my computer's right here. Should I be working? Um, and if I'm thinking that, is my team thinking that? And what we don't want is to just overwhelm our team so much that they're just working all the time. That's not healthy. That you know, it, It's not going to be as effective or as efficient as working smartly. Um, I, I have a kind of a built-in... Um, a built-in blocker to that in that I have two young daughters that are three and a half and 18 months. And guess what? When they need me, they need me. And so when they're home from daycare, there's a component of time where they are my priority. And then, yes, I can go back online after they go to bed. But I think being cognizant of that and being cognizant of the fact that we cannot work 24 hours a day um, has been, has been a good lesson from this pandemic. No, absolutely. It, it's it's interesting too. The I think there's a big advantage to having had the experience previously of trying to manage people remotely because at least there's some. You probably don't have the like the you know everyone's on a path for burnout, but you have like the understanding of how to just the information flow. Like that's something I think I've personally really struggled with with my team is the when we're in person, you can kind of. Uh, you know, they see someone coming into your office, they see you going to a meeting or you give them like updates along the way versus, you know, uh, for my team, we check in once a day and I basically spend the first 15 minutes downloading the previous six hours of meetings that I had with them, which is not that helpful, but I also can't give it to them necessarily piecemeal. And it's, it's very difficult to, to keep it organized and spread out and in a way that's like, you know, really digestible and actionable. So yeah, the, the like management styles that people had to adapt to during the pandemic is really difficult. The other thing I wanted to go back to that you had mentioned was the importance of kind of mentors in, in your career. And they've come up a couple of different times now, which I think is something we haven't touched on a ton in other interviews so far. So I, I kind of wanted to go back to that for anybody who's, who's interested in um, that's listening. But, you know, it seems like it shaped a lot of your decision making, but Maybe you could kind of elaborate on that and how having a, you know, is it like a sounding board to bounce ideas off of? Obviously, um, there are kind of network effects of having introductions to other opportunities and things like that. But maybe from your perspective, that'd be an interesting thing to hear as well. Yeah. So I, I think mentors uh, and mentorship and acting as a mentor um, is, is super important. Um, I, I think sometimes we get trapped in, um, I have to go to my boss only 
to have a career discussion. And I, and I think what happens there is that you you're getting um, you're getting one view. And I think the key and and the reason why mentorship is so important is that you want to get um, multiple views from multiple people to help shape your decision making. And two, you want to get independent views. And so I, you know, I, I have mentors within the bank that are peers. And so I, I call it peer mentorship, you know, individuals that I can go to and I can have a open and honest conversation with. Sometimes with your boss, you can't necessarily do that um, because you're talking about potentially doing roles outside of the business line. Now, some bosses are great about that and want to have that conversation and others are not. And so really it's about um, how do you gain insight into what's out there? How do you bounce ideas off of individuals? Um, and I love the idea of having independent individuals that you can bounce lots of different things on or off of. Um, I've been lucky enough that I've, I've had individuals in my career that A, have taken an interest in me, um, that have spent time with me, um, and heard me out. Uh, and I think one of the keys to mentorship is really being open to listen um, and to hear different views. Because I, I think one of my challenges is that sometimes I get an idea in my head and I that's the idea. Like, that's what I want to do. Um, and it's like, okay, I, I no, 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 I'm right. Uh, and I think what happens when you have these um, individuals that you can have these open conversations with that they're and and you need to be in you have to trust them enough so that they can challenge those ideas and i think when they're challenging those ideas that's when you start to um reflect on maybe your point of view and you start amending that point of view it's 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 um okay yes this is what i was thinking but maybe i hadn't thought of that component or I hadn't thought of this totally other this total other area that I was wasn't even on my radar, like the DVP role wasn't even on my radar. Um, and someone is willing to have that conversation with you and and talk through the pros and cons of of making those choices. Um, and I think the other the other important thing about mentorship is that you should have mentors outside of the business. Um, that are family, that are uh, partners, that are um, parents, uh, friends, you know, someone that you can have a, an open, honest conversation with. And often those conversations are, uh, are more open and more honest outside of an organization. Um, and that's good. That's what you want to do. You, you want to be able to challenge yourself and, and, have, and have conversations that make you think about different opportunities or make you challenge your initial kind of thinking. It's a really good way of putting it too. And it just kind of dawned on me when you're walking through it that uh, probably a lot of people listening and, and, you know, either one of us in a different scenario, if you're making a decision uh, and it was a business decision, you wouldn't just consult one person. You wouldn't just consult your boss. You would consult a bunch of people. Right. But for people's careers, I think oftentimes they just default to, oh, I'm going to do this because this is what I want to do and not talk to anybody, or I'm going to talk to my boss and just accept this. And it's uh, it's really interesting and like obviously the opposite of probably what most people should do, but it's just kind of that default of when it's about me, I won't take the time to 
do that extra step, despite for my job and if it's a business decision, I'm always going to check all the boxes, check in with all the stakeholders. Um, and maybe that's a, a helpful frame for other people thinking about it. Dylan, I think you're right. And, and I think one of the things, actually mentoring others has made me kind of change the way in which I'm thinking, because I'm always asking them questions that I don't wouldn't necessarily ask myself, right? Like, what is it that you really want to do? What are you passionate about? Um, and then stepping back and just allowing them to have that conversation. And often I find in those conversations, people haven't spent enough time thinking about options and thinking about worlds outside of their existing business lines or where they they work now. I think the, the beauty of something like like a bank like Scotia is that there is so much potential opportunity um, in lots of different business lines that, you know, I've, I've had, I've been with the bank almost 16 years and I've had nine jobs. And so, and in multiple business lines. And so you're learning something and you have this opportunity to, to continuously learn and continuously evolve as a banker. And I think that's the exciting thing. No, absolutely. But I just wanted to wrap up by kind of looking at 2021, and obviously we've got vaccines going out. We we're just talking before this too, and you're on on the board of uh, St. Jo- Joseph's Hospital Foundation. Um, you know, so you have a lot of interest outside of work as well. I don't know if you wanted to, to touch on that, how um, you know if any of that work kind of crosses over with the pandemic as well. Um, but I wanted to open that up to that or anything else you're looking forward to in 2021. Yeah. So look, I I, I think in Canada. Um, it's going to be a slow recovery. We're, we're starting to get vaccines, which is fantastic. Um, but I don't think they're going to be broadly rolled out until the summer at best. Uh, and so I'm, I'm hopeful that that uh, kind of gets rolled out and we can get back to a, a level of normalcy. I don't think it's ever going to go back exactly how it was. And that's OK, um, because we, we're evolving and, and things are changing. Um, you know, from a professional standpoint, we are really focused on delivering and executing upon the plan that we've put in place over the last two years. And so nothing has changed in terms of what we want to deliver um, for our bankers that will better enable them to serve our clients. Um, you know, we're, we're focused kind of big picture strategically on, on how do we drive the right behaviors of our bankers to better serve our clients. Um, and then, you know, you, you mentioned St. Joe's Hospital Foundation. I think it's important to have interests outside of um, organizations uh, that you work for. Um, I've been with them kind of seven or eight years. It's a very different role. I act as kind of the, the, the treasurer and the director of the finance committee there. And so there's challenges that, you know, foundations are facing at the same time as, as uh, banks are facing. Um, different challenges, different lessons, different learnings. And, and really, um, I think what's really great is that it, it kind of cross-pollinates. And so you're, you're taking learnings from, from both roles and, and from both sides um, and, and taking those lessons and, and putting them into practice both at, at work and, and for the foundation. So that's a great point as well. Having interest outside of work can also be something that I think helps but yeah, I want to I want to thank you, Jeff. But I really appreciate you being able to join us, and uh, looking forward to 
seeing a Scotiabank logo on an NHL helmet this uh, upcoming season when they kick off in a little bit. That should be a cool addition to the rest of the uh, Scotiabank marketing and that all-Canadian division that you guys now have. Absolutely. It should be fun. Thanks, Dylan.